0: Working
3: at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
1: And financially supported by listeners like you.
0: Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. And now for today's environmental news brief.
4: From WFHB, this is your Environmental News Brief for Thursday, October 7th. I'm Nathaniel Weinzaffel. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management has recently awarded eight organizations their highly valued Governor Award for the Environmental Excellence, which celebrates the achievements of businesses and organizations who have taken significant steps to protect the environment. One of the organizations, the Environmental Resilience Institute at Indiana University Bloomington, was given the award for their program called Local Government Implementation Portfolio, which provides expert assistance to Indiana communities who desire to become more environmentally friendly but do not know how to start. This award was presented during the 24th Annual Pollution Prevention Conference and Trade Show, which was held last month in Indianapolis. Since the beginning of September, Bloomington residents have been reporting issues with their tap water that ranges from it tasting bad to having a foul odor. These complaints are in higher numbers than usual, But Bloomington Utilities has insisted that the water is safe to drink and, with the uptick in reports, the water has been tested multiple times every day. A possible cause of the issue has been linked to algal blooms in Lake Monroe, which can be filtered out but can leave an unpleasant taste in the water. It's important to emphasize that the water is deemed safe and treatment for the water has been adjusted according to the complaint. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb has recently teamed up with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer to create the Regional Electric Vehicle for the Midwest Memorandum of Understanding, which is an organization that works to improve the electric vehicle infrastructure in the Midwest. This infrastructure will create jobs, reduce carbon emissions, and improve public health. This will allow the Midwest to compete with the innovations on the West and East Coast. That's all for your environmental news brief. However, WFHB needs your help. We are funded by the community and need your support. During our Fall Fund Drive, we ask our listeners to visit our website and donate to help keep us community-powered. Visit wfhb.org or call 812-323-1200 to make a donation today. Thank you for your time and support. And for WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinsapfel.
0: Environmental Reporters, Enrique Sainz, talks about changes in waters of the United States regulations. That's coming up later on the program. The Indiana Environmental
3: Reporter reviews the past and future of forests on state land, in the 1970s and 80s, Republican Indiana Governors Orr and Bowen established three backcountry areas in state forests that would keep the backwoods intact and logging at bay. Today, they are no longer safe from being logged. If each newly elected governor of Indiana decides to chip away at our protected wild places set aside by previous administrations, it will undermine good bipartisan work done for the people of Indiana by previously elected Indiana leaders. Bowen and Orr agreed that the backcountry areas of our state forests were worth saving. Governor Eric Holcomb is not the one who walked this policy back. It was Governor Mitch Daniels, but Holcomb is the one who can save it. Two years ago the Indiana Forest Alliance formally proposed to the Indiana Division of Forestry that approximately 2,380 acres in Morgan Monroe, Yellowwood State Forest, a forest unit of 51,000 acres, be designated high conservation value forest. The division puts entire state forest tracks up for auction, having their foresters mark the trees to be cut, and then the independent logging companies come up with a bid, which is typically below market value. The division facilitates logging in our state forests while claiming that they are, quote, managing our forests for more diversity, end quote. While they refer to this type of management as shelter wood cutting, it's a lot like clear cutting of high-value timber. Large tracts are removed thousands of acres at a time, and there are no plans to save any sections from being auctioned to logging companies for timber. Century-old trees and old-growth forests are rare and they are key in mitigating the ever-increasing climate crisis. Now there is an effort to save the backcountry of Yellowwood and Morgan Monroe State Forest. If you wish to protect our state forest, one option is to join the Indiana Forest Alliance.
0: A federal court in Los Angeles this week ruled that under former President Donald Trump, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service violated the law when it failed to list the Joshua Tree as a threatened species under the Endangered Species Act, a decision that the Biden administration has continued to defend. While the direct killing of western Joshua trees by developers is the most visible threat, climate change and fire are also pushing the species towards extinction. Recent studies show Joshua trees are dying off because of hotter, drier conditions, with very few younger trees becoming established. The U.S. District Court in the Central District of California said in its ruling on Monday that the Forest Service now has one year to reconsider its decision and must take into account all scientific evidence, including climate change models, when deciding whether the Joshua tree should be protected under the Endangered Species Act. Wild Earth Guardians, which first filed a petition to ensure the tree was protected in 2015, and launched a legal challenge after the service declined to list the species in 2019, called the ruling groundbreaking and a monumental step forward for the Joshua Tree. The AP reports the extinction of the splendid ivory-billed woodpecker
3: and 22 more birds, fish, and other species. It's a rare move for wildlife officials to give up hope on a plant or animal, but government scientists say they've exhausted efforts to find these 23 and they warned that climate change on top of other pressures could make such disappearances more common as a warming planet adds to the dangers facing imperiled plants and wildlife. The ivory-billed woodpecker was perhaps the best-known species that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has called extinct. It went out stubbornly and with fanfare, making unconfirmed appearances in recent decades that ignited a frenzy of ultimately fruitless searches in the swamps of Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Florida. The factors behind the disappearances vary. Too much development, water pollution, logging, competition from invasive species, birds killed for feathers, and animals captured for private collectors. In each case, humans were the ultimate cause. Around the globe, some 902 species have recently been documented as extinct. The actual number is thought to be much higher because some are never formally identified, and many scientists warn the Earth is in the sixth mass extinction with flora and fauna now disappearing at 1,000 times the historical rate. E. O. Wilson of Harvard University and the Dean of American Biologists predicts that a million or more plants and animals will go extinct during this mass extinction. Hawaii has the most species on the list, eight woodland birds and one plant. That's in part because the islands have so many plants and animals that many have extremely small ranges and can blink out quickly. Since 1975, Fifty-four species have left the endangered list after recovering, including the bald eagle, brown pelican, and most humpback whales. Climate change is making species' recovery harder, bringing drought, floods, wildfires, and temperature swings that compound the threat species already face. How they are saved also is changing. No longer is the focus on individual species, let alone individual birds. Officials say the broader goal now is to preserve their habitat, which boosts species of all types that live there. Quote, I hope we're up to the challenge, end quote, said biologist Michelle Bogardis with the Wildlife Service in Hawaii. Quote, there aren't resources to prevent extinctions unilaterally. We have to focus on ecosystem health,
0: and how do we maintain it? Give all these threats. End quote. Finally, after years of debate, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has laid to rest the claim that a little radiation is good for you, an idea called hormesis. Rarely does the commission take a position against the nuclear industry, but this time it rejected outright the industry's attempt to weaken the agency's regulations on radiation exposure. Industrial radioactive polluters for years have promoted weaker radiation exposure limits and deregulation of radioactive emissions from nuclear reactors, uranium processing plants, fuel fabrication operations, medical isotope manufacturers, and weapons production sites. Nuclear industries submitted formal petitions in 2015 to urge the Commission to lower its standards. During that same year, the British medical journal, Lancet Hematology, reported that there's a strong relationship between extensive low-dose radiation exposure and death from leukemia. Before that, between 1977 and 1990, scientists tripled their estimate of the damage to human health that a given dose of radiation causes. Other studies have confirmed that there's no safe dose of radiation. Industrial radiation polluters have long advocated against stronger radiation regulations, which translate for them into loss of money. As the journal Science noted, quote, billions of dollars are at stake. Stricter standards could increase the amount that agencies and industries must spend to clean up radioactive waste and protect workers, end quote. On the
3: heels of congressional Democrats calling the heads of fossil fuel companies and industry lobbying groups to testify about their role in spreading climate disinformation, campaigners published a report exposing the contributions of major advertising and public relations firms. The Aim of Clean Creatives report, as its introduction explains, was to document the many known relationships between PR, advertising, and fossil fuel companies that are responsible for climate change and compare their pledges for climate action with their work for polluting clients. Unveiled last year by the nonprofit Fossil Free Media, the Clean Creatives campaign pressures ad and PR agencies to ditch clients fueling the climate emergency. Quote, fossil fuel companies are the biggest polluters and the biggest opponents of life-saving climate action. There is no room for ad and PR professionals to continue promoting companies that are doing so much damage to our future, end quote, said Clean Creatives Director Duncan Measle.
0: Here is our producer with a message about WFHB's current fund drive.
1: Hello, this is Ego Report producer Patrick Callanan. I got interested in community radio when my old friend and WFHB's chief engineer, Jeffrey Morris, came to Washington, D.C., where I lived for many years, to try to start the process of applying to the FCC to get this station started. I joined up about eight years ago and moved back to Bloomington. We're fundraising this week and we could really use your support. We came up a little bit short in our last fund drive, and we need to raise $42,000 this week. So if you've been procrastinating becoming a member and a donor, this would be a great time to take the plunge. EcoReport has added a couple of new volunteer reporters, and we'd like to get more equipment as well, just trying to make the program even better. And with your help, we can do all that. And, you know, sustaining membership is a win-win for both you and WFHB. It works by spreading out your pledge over a full year, by deducting a small amount every month from your checking account or putting it on your credit card. $10 a month is what I do, and even on my retired person's pay, Social Security I mean, I barely notice it. If you do the math, you'll notice that it adds up to a substantial amount yearly, more than I could afford in a single payment. The best thing about it for WFHP is that it spreads out the cash flow throughout the year. So right now would be a great time to get online to WFHB.org and click on the big Donate button. The secure payment system will take you through all the details of sustaining membership or a single payment contribution. Any contribution over $10 also gets you a free local live CD. Go to wfhb.org or call 812-323-1200.
3: Importing trophy animals is very popular with Americans. More than 125,000 animals are killed each year for trophies. Trophies are primarily imported from Canada and South Africa, followed by Namibia, Mexico, Zimbabwe, New Zealand, Tanzania, Argentina, Zambia, and Botswana. From Canada, the top species are geese, mallard ducks, and black bears. Polar bears are illegal to hunt. Since 1900, the populations of lions, elephants, and rhinos has dropped by more than 90 percent. Trophy hunters highly covet the African Big Five, importing them to the U.S. in staggering numbers. Between 2005 and 2014, imports included 5,600 African lions, 4,600 African elephants, 4,500 African leopards, 330 southern white rhinos, and 17,200 African buffalo. All of these species, except the African buffalo, are near-threatened or vulnerable on the red list of threatened species. Lion trophies approved for import into the U.S. stir controversy. Two subspecies of African lions are listed as threatened under the U.S. Endangered Species Act, which means trophies from sport hunts can't be imported unless the hunts can be shown to help conserve the animals. The way people gain approval is to pay a license fee that could reach $100,000. The money is supposed to go for conservation. Most of the African animals killed are under circumstances called canned hunting. Canned hunting is when animals such as lions are already accustomed to humans and are bred specifically to be shot and stuffed. These animals are locked in in closed spaces with the hunter and are often shot while eating food provided to them. Canned hunts do not allow for the animal to escape and are a guaranteed kill. While South Africa is the only African country to have canned hunts, the United States also has these facilities. Texas, for instance, has numerous venues with exotic animals that offer canned hunting packages. For example, the 777 Ranch offers 60 species to hunt. A zebra hunt is listed on their website for $4,000. The champion hunter in Indiana is Stephen Chancellor of Evansville. According to Safari Club records, Chancellor registered 482 confirmed kills between 1980 and 2008. Chancellor has killed six elephants, two rhinos, 18 lions, and 13 leopards, all in Africa.
0: Many are on display in his home. And now, our feature IER reporter, Enrique Sanz, talks about wetlands regulation changes.
2: Wetlands serve many important purposes. They act as sponges, trapping, and slowly releasing water. Wetlands control flooding and filter water naturally. Wetlands are also home to many important species of animals and plants, making them important spots for hunting and tourism. But what does a wetland look like? For some, it's the classic look, especially to the modern masters. We'll start out today with a small amount
1: of Prussian blue. And I'm gonna add a little bit of Van Dyke brown to that I want to dull this blue down today.
2: And of course, there should be lots of greens. Dead trees are a reality in nature.
1: So don't leave them out just cause they're dead. They're part of nature's beauty. Sometimes there's old parts of the trees that protrude out One limb maybe gets tired and gives up, but the other ones keep going.
2: So true, so true. But wetlands, in the scientific sense, aren't always so obvious. Above ground, they can be almost indistinguishable from other land, but they still serve the same important functions. That is, unless you live in Indiana where state law has basically declared that the functions of wetlands are what the state says they are. Science be damned. Earlier this year, the Indiana legislature, led by state senators with close ties to the home building industry, passed Senate Enrolled Act 389, a law that removed state protections for more than half of the state's remaining wetlands and weakened the protections that were allowed to exist. See, under Indiana state law, wetlands that do not fall under federal jurisdiction are split into three categories. Class three wetlands are defined by the state as wetlands that have more than minimal hydrologic function or wildlife habitat function. These are often the obvious wetlands. Class one wetlands, on the other hand, are defined by the state as wetlands having minimal hydrologic function or wildlife habitat function. These are the ones that can blend into the landscape. They're far less obvious and can be just wet patches of land to those that don't know any better. Class two wetlands are, and I quote, an isolated wetland that is not a class one or a class three. Okay. The law passed this year removed all state protections for class one wetlands and weakened protections for class two wetlands. The legislation was widely reviled as it made its way through the legislature, environmental and conservation groups as well as the Indiana Chamber of Commerce fought against the legislation. SEA 389, though, was backed by the Indiana Builders Association, a powerful lobbying group. The three senators that introduced the bill, Senators Chris Garten, Linda Rogers and Mark Messmer, all members of the Indiana Builders Association. SEA 389 was eventually signed into law by Governor Eric Holcomb and went into effect in July. There was a silver lining in the law, though. The law called for the establishment of a task force that would research strategies to protect Indiana's isolated wetlands and develop measures to incentivize their protection. Governor Eric Holcomb recently appointed the 13 members of the task force. The appointments include representatives from various fields that are impacted by the state's wetland policies, including surveyors, farmers, water managers, ag professors, local government leaders, and land developers. The task force will be chaired by Will Ditzler, president of River Birch executive advisors and former chair of the nature conservancy in Indiana. Ditzler is also a licensed real estate broker. The task force's mission includes developing strategies to mitigate the cost incurred by builders and developers to comply with state regulation of wetland activity. One of the main targets for those that wanted state wetland protections removed was the mitigation costs for developing wetlands before July. Landowners had to get permits for developing Class One and Class Two wetlands and either mitigate the wetland loss by building up wetlands elsewhere or pay the state to do it. Landowners complained about the high cost of destroying wetlands, saying the protections prevented them from using the land. The task force will also research the flood reduction benefits and carbon dioxide storage potential of the state's isolated wetlands and review current state wetland classification, mitigation ratios, and potential future wetland legislation. The task force will issue a report on its finding by November 1st, 2022. For a full list of task force members, check out our website, IndianaEnvironmentalReporter.org.
0: on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport,
3: give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org.
0: And now for our events calendar. The Nature Sound series continues with The Poetry of Leaves on Friday, October 8th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. at the Crestmont Park Shelter. A guest storyteller will be present to talk about how the wind can howl, scream, sigh, murmur, and roar, all coming from the rustling of leaves. Bring your own seating. Are you feeling batty? It is the beginning of the spooky season, and bats are the perfect complement to
3: fall festivities. Learn about Indiana's winged mammals and build a bat house at Lower Cascades Park in the Sycamore Shelter on Saturday, October 9th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Bat house kits will be provided. Register at
0: bloomington.in.gov slash parks. You can learn the life-changing skill of making a fire by friction at the this rekindle the ancient fire program on Saturday, October 9th from 1230 to 4 p.m. in the Lower Cascades Park at the Sycamore Shelter. You will learn everything you need to know about how to make a fire and leave with your very own bow kit. Registration is required by October 5th at bloomington.in.gov parks. Fall is a great time for sowing wildflower seeds, while planting
3: mimics the way seeds grow in the wild. Learn all about planting wildflower seed at this information session on Thursday, October 14th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at the Allison Jukebox Community Center. Registration by October 13th at bloomington.in.gov slash parks.
0: Join the Nature Conservancy on Friday, October 15th for weed wrangling at beautiful Green Bluffs Preserve in Owen County from 9 a.m. to noon. You will assist in removing invasive species, autumn olive and multiflora rose. Wear long sleeves and bring eye protection. You should also wear long pants and sturdy closed-toed shoes. Bring water and work gloves. Contact the Indiana Volunteer team at indianavolunteer at tnc.org. For more information, for more information and to register.
3: And that wraps up our show for this week.
0: Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sainz. Patrick Callahan
3: assembled the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callahan edited it. Myself, Juliana Daly, compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callahan produced and
0: engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Cynthia Roberts. And I'm Juliana Daly. And this is Eco Report.
1: directly to the ECO report staff.
0: The email address is
1: earth at wfhb.org.
0: That's earth at wfhb.org.